0: Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. Let, him, Let him, have it, Chris. him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. There's a button, a switch, for everything. That? You're
1: listening to Aerial View Worldwide on the Internet. <laughs> so how much can you do for the
0: Come on, you know better than that. How you'll do it, all right? This is a $100 agent in the world. It's hot <laughs> and low, medium. It's <laughs> worth plenty of rubles. He's got, he's got lots of juice. He's got more. What kind of radio show is this? I heard his voice on the and really put the many, many times. Sure, we both quite the and the host. you a New Jersey, First, let's talk. I'm sick of talking. I know how to talk to people. Is is yes. Yes, yes. I've got this man who on the air, deliver a coded message. You're out, You're out of
1: your mind! I'm not out of my mind. Come on, now we're going to what he said on the
0: air because all we're dealing with here, after all, is talk show time
1: against a man's
0: life. I don't see that as any argument. I can see you really upset about this. We're done. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> Parlor is getting late. Chris, stand up and wiggle your hips, <laughs> girl. I
1: know that, but uh, we're
0: going for it. He's a mile, <Yeah>. <prisoner> <Sora> and I'll smash your face for you, Garfunkel. Let you stop that, huh? Shut up, stop it! Shut up! Conversation is a two-way
1: street. I'm okay. Look at the out. I'm a dragon out
0: there. I don't get you. I don't get your act at all. And I don't think you do either. I don't think you know what you're trying to do or how to go about it. I heard it over the radio. Real stupid. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, oh, heaven. Do you understand? Finally, you will look, take me over air Heaven now, over on the other space my voice, whatever <laughs> I'm i radio personality now. Most people today couldn't care less about the radio personalities. I couldn't agree with you more. He's always talking about some radio star that I never heard of. You don't like my stories. Oh, no. Have to listen to my program. Listen to the radio. You'll find out what's going on. Listen to the talk shows and you will find out what's going on. Oh,
1: man, The talk radio?
0: Yes, talk radio. It's so boring, hey, man. man. Okay. The car is just suicide. Yeah. I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Show the man your power, big. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! <laughs> <It's> showtime! <laughs>
1: do not you smile we me kiss this Good evening, ladies and gentlemen
0: of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning.
1: Sure, the talk
0: show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. Hey, you Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. Have a nice day. Hi, I was wondering if this was the same Chris T who does um, the radio show. Because um, if it is, I think your show is really great. Um, but if it isn't, um, I'm sorry to have bothered you. You know, those words hurt, but of course you must realize they come from a man who's gone mad with depression. Unfortunately, it seems to happen to some of our greatest geniuses, people like Oppenheimer, Schweitzer, Boxcar Willie. And that's why today we're especially sad to announce that Chris has in fact been found certifiably depressed. like those clouds in Congress did it again. What a bunch of clout! Catchy little number. Hey, it's me, Chris T. here on TheHoundNYC.com, where every Sunday you get the hound howl at 3 p.m. Eastern time, followed by Crashing the Party with Mark and Miriam, the doo-wop chop shop of the year. They got those doo-wops on vinyl. Don't you worry about that. Today on Aerial View, we judge the judges. That's right, returning champion Ken Katkin. We'll be here in just a little bit. Constitutional scholar and professor of law, Ken Katkin, who teaches at the Salmon P. Chase College of Law at Northern Kentucky University, will join us as we judge the judges. We'll talk about the recently concluded Supreme Court session, the one that's coming up in October. And uh, Ken has something else he wants to talk about, a corruption trial that ought to be interesting took place in Ohio, you might have missed it. So he will uh, fill you in on what happened. And don't forget, Ken also hosts the radio show Trash Flow Radio, heard on WAIF 88.3 FM in the Cincinnati area. Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. and online at waferadio.org. He'll also update us about another uh, radio station that he's on the board of whose entire studio got flooded due to the flooding that's been happening in Appalachia. Now, when I was a kid, we pronounced it... Appalachia. But apparently it's... Appalachia. Or Appalachia. I I don't know. Kent will straighten all that out when he joins us in just a bit. But uh, first I'd like to just rant for a little bit if that's okay because that's part of the program and it has been for a very long time. Aerial View got underway in 1989 over the airwaves of WFMU where I am no longer welcome. Wait, where's my laugh track? Someone was supposed to have my laugh track. Didn't I ask for a laugh track last week? Somebody? (laughs) Anybody? Can someone get Don on the phone? That's the shittiest laughter, too, but it's in terms of canned laughter, that's not what I would have picked. I would have picked something else entirely, folks. If I had just had some forethought, foresight to prep a little bit, that's all it would have taken. You know, I, I really enjoy the process of going out and finding the sound bites for this program. It's been a while since I actually sat down and sort of dedicated a few hours to doing that. I have a long, long list of sound bites out there because while we're watching TV of an evening, Sweet T and I, if I hear something that strikes me, I'll go, oh. And I'll grab my phone and I'll make note of it. What the show is, what time it has. This is a tip for you kids who are just getting into this shit because every day, on one of the uh, public radio lists that I belong to, there's emails, people wanting to know, how can I pivot from my current career into podcasting? I would like to have a podcast. Everybody else, I, just, I can't I have a podcast, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, now that's, that's much better. That laughter is much better. Thank you. Thank you. See, that's what you want. You want phlegmatic laughter. Phlegmatic. It needs more phlegm. Can you please add more phlegm? <laughs> Thank you. I would like to get in the podcasting. I don't know. What's your podcast about? It's about thirty-five minutes. <laughs> Oy. Is there a name for it when everything annoys you? There's gotta be, right? There's gotta be something. There's gotta be uh, in the DSM or whatever the hell it's called, <laughs> DMS, DMX. Where was I? Oh yeah, Larry Josephson died. I just wanted to. I just wanted to acknowledge someone who was a giant. In Freeform Radio gave us all, or many of us, or some of us, the permission to do whatever the hell we wanted. And um, I crossed paths with Larry Josephson many times back in the day, and uh, he was exactly what they said he was. He was a pioneer, a trailblazer, and a mensch all rolled into one. You may know him from WBAI, but he was also a, uh, an engineer and a teacher and a writer and a station manager, in addition to being a host and a producer. And... But uh, he would go on in the morning and do the kind of show that I always wanted to do take some phone calls, play some records, do a rant or two, interview somebody, whatever the hell he felt like doing, hence free form, and he uh, passed away a couple of days ago, July 27th, of Parkinson's disease at the age of 83. If you don't know about Larry Josephson, uh, look him up when you get a chance. By the way, they're going to be sitting shiva for Larry on, uh, I believe, Sunday in Manhattan. Uh, his daughter put out a message all about that. If you can get yourself to, uh believe it's the Upper West Side, somewhere in the 80s. Let's see. Let's see if I can find it. Ah, eh, no, I can't. Sorry. Go online. I I think it might be out there. It's probably gonna be uh, very well attended. So I wish I could see you there, but I won't. Unfortunately, other plans. As it were. Speaking of other plans, we canceled our vacation. If you think I'm doing this show from California where I said I would be last time I did this show, which was last week, the show was called Going to California. Well, guess what? No. Not going to California. We uh, shit-canned that idea because of all the fucking COVID. What other reason could there possibly be? Kept thinking, well... What do we do if we get sick out there 3,000 miles away from home? Then what? You're screwed. Thoroughly screwed. So we will reschedule, and meanwhile, I will spend a little part of every day reaching out to VRBO and Airbnb to try to get a goddamn refund of some kind. Just a little goddamn refund, you bastard. All right, that's enough of that. I said everything I wanted to say. At the top of the show, in the A block, let's move on to the B block. And uh, welcome, once again, constitutional scholar and professor of law, Ken Katkin at Salmon P. Chase College of Law, Northern Kentucky University, here to judge the judges. Ken, don't forget, has Trash Flow Radio on W A I F. 88.3 FM in the Cincinnati area, Saturdays 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and online at waifradio.org. That's W A I F radio.org. They ought to put me on that station, Ken. I'll put you on that station, Chris. Come on. (laughs) What? No kidding. You have that power? Are you the no, program I mean, director to call, too?
1: call into me the same way that I call into you? But oh. I, I have the power to put you on my show. Sure. Yeah, but
0: I'm not a constitutional scholar and professor. What would be my area of expertise? You want to talk about trucking for an hour? Yeah. <laughs> or we could talk. Actually, I just heard you saying that you
1: um, canceled your California trip because you were worried about transportation. We, You know, I went to California during the pandemic and I actually took the train so I could get a, a private room. You know, sleeper, like a little roomette, sleeper car. That's one way to do it and not well, worry about the pandemic. I,
0: I have to push back on that because uh, my wife's cousin up in Canada, her husband is an oncologist and took the train to Chicago for a convention and came back with COVID. Well, they don't know, honestly, if they got it on the train or at the convention. Who knows? Yeah, I so, bet,
1: bet they got it on the convention because the really? train, you
0: can just shut the door and stay in your own room. Do you Did you ride with a mask while you were on the train?
1: Well, only when I went out to the um, diner car, you know, like I went out of my room to get meals, but I, um, yeah, otherwise I didn't, I stayed just with my wife and I, we had a roommate, we didn't have COVID, we didn't get it from each other and we didn't otherwise interact
0: with anybody. And where did you leave out from to go to California?
1: So we actually, well, we actually flew to California. We only took the train back because it's a bit expensive to take both ways, but, uh, we um, we left from Emeryville, California, and we
0: took the California Zephyr The Zephyr, uh, to, I was gonna uh, say, to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. You must have had some nice views along the way of garbage in people's backyards, or did you <laughs> actually get to see some stuff? Yeah, I get to see a lot. I mean, actually, okay. it's,
1: Along the lines of what you said, that the first you know the first thirty forty miles out of out of the San Francisco Bay Area, it's one giant tent city along the track. Right. So, like, there's just. 30 or 40 miles of homeless people just living next to the tracks. And you you finally get away from that. But after you pass um, Davis and Sacramento and those towns, you start heading up, um, you know, into the into the high Sierras, not far from Yosemite. And then you get the really beautiful views. And you even pass uh, Donner Lake, you know, which is I, I, I wondered when I saw Donner Lake. I guess that's where the Donner Party cannibalized each other. But, you know, there, there was a lake there. It made me wonder, like, why they couldn't find something to eat around there but i guess it was the middle of winter
0: uh there was a very good book that came out some years ago about the Donner party that i would uh, uh i'm trying to remember what it was called i, I think like the Ar- archaeology of despair or something like that it's it's a really in-depth uh donner party sort of <laughs> okay yeah it's uh I, an archaeology of desperation is what it's (laughs) called. If you ever find this book, uh, you should get it. It, It's it's subtitled Exploring the Donner Party's Alder Creek Camp. And it it goes into, you know, this is an archaeologist who wrote this. It goes into deep detail about what that experience was like in the Sierra Nevadas in the winter of 1846, starving travelers who were stranded and how they descended in To cannibalism, of course, still the most famous case of cannibalism probably in this country. I wonder, Ken, does every country have like some famous cannibalism case when they go back in time? Or (laughs) is it is it just the United States where people ate each other? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I've actually I had heard that, um, you know,
1: that modern anthropologists are a lot more skeptical um, that any societies ever, ever uh, practiced cannibalism regularly. You know, I'm sure it did happen everywhere as it did here, you know, in desperate circumstances. But, you know, I get, when I was growing up, we would learn that there were like, you know, societies in the South Pacific or in Africa where, um, you know, cannibalism was just part of their ordinary religious ritual or something. But
0: I think there's a lot of doubt been thrown on that lately. I don't think like, even if I was in one of those societies and I had bought into the religion, I might check out when you suggested we eat Larry or whoever it might be. And I think at that point I'd be like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. But when you read about what happened under Stalin and, you know, with – with um, with, with the famine that went on in oh, Russia yeah. year after year after year and people eating each other in Russia. It's kind of horrifying. It's uh, yeah. driven yeah, well, I'm, purely I'm by sure that. Right. Yeah. That happened everywhere on Earth, I'm sure. When, right.
1: If, if people are in desperate circumstances. The
0: hunger. And, you know, they would look at me and it'd be like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. They'd see a big old hamburger and uh, on a bun with legs. And they would think, oh, yeah, I'll <laughs> we'll start with him. Yeah. <laughs> Ken's got no meat on the bones, but this guy, Mm-hmm. let's start right
1: there. Yeah. See, so <sighs> if you call me on Trash Flow Radio, we could talk about this kind of stuff. We don't have to just talk about law all the time.
0: Uh, I would like that, because, you know, we both come from a free-form tradition, and it's good to mix it up. Uh, I'm That's, sure there's absolutely. lots of other areas besides the law that you're quite well versed in if not an expert you are you know what the hell you're talking about like some people know about wine i don't see you as someone who's all that much into wine no i'm, I'm a fairly straight
1: edge i'm not 100 mm. straight edge but i i don't drink hardly any alcohol at all
0: so what what is uh your straying from the straight edge what what's your indulgence is it uh maybe a sip of malbec of an <laughs> evening or what what is it
1: you know, it's really like it's it only really happens like either at music venues or at dinner parties but if i'm just around everybody else and they're if they're drinking beer at a music venue or if they're drinking wine at a dinner party i'll i'll have a glass but or or a beer but i you know just so that i don't have to be like you know that guy but mm-hmm. uh but mm-hmm. i you know i never like if i'm just home i basically never
0: reach for any alcohol sorry i was sipping my beer sorry about that <laughs> well if i was with you i'd have a beer Chris. yeah would you, but would you drink miller light because that's what i'm drinking right now well, well, people are <laughs> spitting their drinks out all over the place who are listening to this that i'm I, drinking a miller light i
1: drink beer just infrequently enough that i don't have to worry about the calories but if i drank it a little bit more regularly i would definitely be looking for the lowest calorie beer
0: yeah i think it's 95 calories Yeah. Three carbs, some crap like that. But uh, (laughs) so so you traveled along through the Sierra Nevadas. And then did you see any more tent cities, any more hobos that they used to be called living along the railroad tracks, worried about the bulls?
1: (laughs) Well, a few here and there. But I mean, basically, you know, I mean, I'm going to say I saw at least a thousand homeless people in the first 30 or 40 miles out of the San Francisco Bay Area, like tons and tons. It just went on and on. But when you finally get past like Sacramento, which is kind of, you know, that's already like more than an hour from San Francisco, but that's kind of the end of that, that whole megalopolis, you know, then you pretty quickly are going up into very low population areas. And I think it's just harder for people and to, to be out there. And then, um, and then, you, you know, you go over the Sierras and then Nevada and Utah, it's all desert. I think it would be impossible for people out there. So it wasn't really until we got back into, you know, you go through some of the Midwestern cities and you'd see, you know, like around the around the train stations at Lincoln and Omaha and place like that, you'd see a few people. But, you know, really nothing equivalent to what I was seeing in California.
0: California has a problem. They, they've they got a bad NIMBY problem and they got a bad problem uh, with, you know, the process, the regulatory process to build any kind of new housing, especially multi-density housing. And that's what would be required uh, to get these people off the street. In addition, they're not uh, utilizing the federal voucher system the way that it was intended. There's all these vouchers to get people off uh, the streets and into some kind of living situation they did succeed in terms of taking over old motels and hotels ones that had either been abandoned or whatever and repurposing them and and providing housing with those that was like a california innovation uh but they they need to build more housing and especially in urban areas and and what they build in urban areas in california is what they build around here very expensive condos and yeah, I mean, smattering I was about to say that. Building housing. more
1: housing is maybe not always the answer because, you know, when, when I lived in Hudson County, New Jersey, when I met you, um, you know, Hudson County was not that expensive. And, uh, and then, you know, now, I mean, I don't think there's too many places they've built more new housing than Jersey City, New Jersey. But I saw in the New York Times today, it's, it's the most expensive rental market in the United
0: States right now. It's just nuts. It really is. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because to me, what made Jersey City, among other things, Jersey City, uh, what made it expensive, I I think if you have to look at the top of that list, because there's a lot of things that people find desirable about living there, whether it's diversity or the food culture or there's things to do, there's nightlife. It's proximity to Manhattan. Those people were commuting into Manhattan. And I don't know how much of that is happening now. They they say it's like 50% of those offices and businesses maybe actually uh, filled up again. There's still 50% of those places where people are working from home instead of going into the office. So I don't know. It's it's interesting that it's it's really the, the rent is that high. Where are those people going when they leave Jersey City? Are they going to the financial district? Are they working on Wall Street? What are they doing? What's driving up the prices? And, you know, I, I it's just when you – Describe that picture of heading east out of uh, Emeryville and seeing 30 or 40 miles or more of, how many miles would you say it was? Yeah, 30 or 40
1: miles of 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 wall-to-wall tent cities.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's depressing as hell.
1: Yeah, that that was kind of depressing as hell. Yeah. But uh but that you know, that trip is like a couple thousand miles, so yeah. it's not like the whole trip is depressing, but that no. that beginning part, it was uh it was kind of a I was really astonished. I mean, I was not expecting that at all. So it did it did really surprise friends me Friends of mine
0: say cuz we didn't get to California, we canceled that trip, but friends of mine were saying that the homeless encampments are um spreading further out of the Skid Row area what they call Skid Row, you know? And I thought about that phrase, which I think came out of Washington State. I'm pretty sure it was like Seattle was the origin of Skid Row. That expression, should we still be using that? I mean, it, it seems like when you're uh, reexamining the language, when you call something Skid Row and the connotations that carries, it's uh, it's bizarre that we're still using that phrase to me, Skid Row. Yeah, of, did that originally on come Skid from Row. the
1: lumber industry? Like they called it that because they skidded the, the, tree, the tree trunks
0: down the skids? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and we we were in Seattle one year and we went to where that expression originated, where they did that. Skid Row. And so I just it's it's just beyond that crappy band, which I never listened to. Did you ever <laughs> listen
1: to Skid Row? No, I actually forgot uh, there was a band with that name until you said that.
0: <laughs> was that Sebastian Bach that was in that band? <laughs> I met him and interviewed him. This is how bizarre my career was in radio, but I ha- I distinctly remember Sebastian Bach, which, by the way, he's. If you didn't know this, uh, I believe he was born in uh, in the Bahamas, oddly enough, and, and sort of grew up in Canada, and then moved to America. And he's then, in New he's in New Jersey, right? He he might be living in New Jersey now, for all we know. Yeah, he was. By the way, incredibly nice, incredibly nice guy. With the greatest head of hair you ever saw. If you asked me what a single one of their songs sounds like, I would fail you. I wouldn't have any clue. What yeah, any you know, I Skid Row never heard songs Skid
1: Row, but he had another, he had a band that a friend of mine actually played in very briefly. He had. That's how I knew he was in New Jersey. He had this band called The Last Hard Men, and uh, Jim, Jimmy Fleming from The Frogs was in that band with him
0: and uh um i do have their record so i have a record with sebastian bach on it what i what was his axe by the way was he a bass player i mean he's not a guitar player right i, I don't even know what the hell he did anyway it hardly matters that's hardly not why <laughs> ken was here uh i believe he was the singer by the way yeah he he uh, yeah. took over from the guy it, it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter <laughs> skid row there you go Go and ask uh, your favorite uh, artificial intelligence assistant to play them now and see what happens. You are Uh, a wizard with those sound effects. That was excellent. Oh, thank you. Uh, you, So, Ken, we haven't talked since uh, the Supreme Court ended their session. And there was a monumental decision that came down, namely the overturning of uh, Roe versus Wade, the Dobbs decision that essentially removed uh the right to abortion from the majority of americans so we yeah. haven't talked about that we've been trying to get together and the scheduling hasn't worked but w- what was your reaction to that knowing that it was coming sensing that it was coming were you still shocked and saddened well i wasn't
1: shocked i thought it was obvious that it was coming but it was um yeah i was certainly saddened um in fact uh you know, we we're just talking about rent, rent prices like I, I feel like in, out here in the parts of the country that I live and work in, you know, there's going to be a huge exodus now. It's already starting. Like people are leaving because of this because people don't want to live in those kind of states. You know, in Ohio, where I live, a 10 year old girl who was raped um, and who was six weeks pregnant um, at age 10 uh, had to leave the state to end that pregnancy. And, uh, you know, that, that does make an impression on people who, you know, start thinking, like, how can I even live in a state like this? And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's going to, you know, make an impression on people in a lot of these states. But, but the, you know, the Supreme Court, they were, they were heading this way for a very long time because justices like Justice Thomas and Justice Alito, who've been on the court for a long time already, you know, they were consistently writing opinions that were the same as the opinion that finally got five votes in Dobbs. It's just that they didn't have five votes yet. So, you know, after after Trump put, you know, three votes on there that all all voted that way, um, you know, then they had the votes. And, you know, there's really no difference between what Thomas and Alito wrote in their opinions in this case and what they've been writing in their own separate opinions, which used used to be dissents um, for as long as they've both been on the court.
0: And what is that? What what have they been writing? What is the basis of uh, Dobbs? So
1: they, they, I mean, I, I'll say what I really think it is, but they, they try to hedge it a little bit. Um, so w- w- they, w- what they try to say, it's not quite as simplistic as what some of these anti-abortion people will say. You know, you hear from a lot of anti-abortion types, you know, I don't see any word abortion in the constitution. The constitution doesn't mention it. Therefore there can't be a constitutional right to abortion. And um, you know, Alito didn't go quite that far. Um, you know, that would be a very meatheaded kind of argument to say that there, there can't be any constitutional rights that aren't mentioned in the Constitution, um, because almost no rights are mentioned in the Constitution. So if you, if you, you know, if, if you if you took a position like that, you know, you'd be saying, well, sure, a state could pass something like China's one child policy and, you know, re- require everybody to get abortions after they've had one child or something like that, you know, and they, they didn't want to open the door to that. So they, what they ended up saying was um, that although there are some um, um, rights that aren't mentioned in the constitution explicitly, but that are still constitutional rights, um, they said the only way we know what those rights are is if those were rights that um, have always been recognized for about as long as there's been a constitution. So if you've got something like abortion, where, you know, 100 years ago, that was a crime in most states, um, they say, well, then that can't be a constitutional right. And so it's kind of convenient because it basically means, you know, women's rights, the rights of racial and ethnic minorities, you know, e- every place where, you know, we have a sad history in this country of, of not always recognizing those rights, but hopefully there's been progress. You know, the, the logic of their opinion is, well, nope, got to un- unwind all the progress because no— No rights are legitimate unless they've been recognized for as long as there's been um, a
0: a U.S. Constitution. It's ludicrous is what it's ludicrous. Yeah,
1: ludicrous. The phrase that they use, you'll if you look at the opinion or if you might hear people talking about that is uh, deeply rooted in Anglo-American legal history and legal tradition. So that's kind of the phrase. They say for for an unenumerated right, in other words, a right that's not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution to actually be a constitutional right, it has to be deeply rooted in Anglo-American legal history and legal tradition. And as I say, that just leaves out a lot of groups of Americans whose rights were not quite as deeply rooted as what these guys are looking for.
0: The non-Anglos?
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well. So, if you're, if um, should we narrow that down even further to white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, namely what they used to call wasps? I don't know if we're still able to say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah. think there's
1: certain. You know, there. I, I. I. Again, I want to be fair to it. There, there's certain kinds of rights that the court has protected in other cases that I think they would continue to protect, you know, even if those rights happened to be claimed in a particular case by members of minority groups. But, but um, so like there's, there's a case about um, a grandmother who took in uh, her two grandchildren because their parents weren't around and the the grandchildren were first cousins of each other. They weren't siblings, but they were both grandchildren of this woman. And she, she bumped up against an anti-group house ordinance, in her town, um, which which didn't allow three unrelated people to live together, and the way they defined related in that ordinance, um, the 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 grandparent and relationship or the cousin relationship wasn't a close enough. Uh, relation, um, so she was in violation of this ordinance. And the Supreme Court, in that case, said, "Well, extended families have a constitutional right to cohabitate because that right is deeply rooted in Anglo-American legal history and legal tradition." And I think in the in the Dobbs case, they they you know reaffirming those kind of cases. Um, but those are basically cases you know where. Um, You know, these these were, you know, rights that basically, you know, there weren't any laws against um, uh, um, extended family cohabitating. You know, two hundred years ago. So they say. So they're, they're willing to say, well, if there was no law against it, then you know, maybe there can't be a law against it now. But but that's about as far as they're going in the, in those kind of doctrines. So I think it is very, you know, especially when you look at women's rights or the rights of minority groups. Um, you know, there used to be a lot of laws that did uh, discriminate, and and I think they're just going to say, well, those law anti discrimination principles or or principles that would be of primary relevance to women, such as reproductive choice, um, uh, are are just not deeply rooted in anglo-american legal history and legal tradition
0: oh god well uh, let's uh, ask this question uh, then what's wrong, what's going on with sonia sotomayor is, is she just a bad catholic because this was seems seems like a very catholic decision uh alito thomas uh, gorsuch cavanaugh and amy coney barrett uh, one of them might be a protestant but i think they're mostly catholics and so, uh, yeah, I think I think Gorsuch is
1: now a Protestant, but he converted to Protestantism from Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and I believe he's the only Protestant on the court. And uh, um, yeah, so the dissenters, um, you have uh, uh, Sotomayor and uh, um, and then of course, um, um, Kagan and and uh, um, Breyer, um, who are, who are both Jewish. Um, and Roberts wrote a separate concurring opinion, he's another Catholic, and he he purported uh, not to want to overrule Roe versus Wade, but he would have um, nonetheless joined the, the conservative majority in um, uh, sustaining uh, the Mississippi law that that um, prohibited some pre viability
0: abortions. Uh, well, I, I'm calling the show Judge the Judges. So do you have uh, any would you like to rank them? Like, who is the worst? And when I say worst, I mean maybe not that bright, but somehow became a Supreme Court justice anyway.
1: <laughs> well, I don't want to say any of these guys aren't bright. Okay. But I, will, I would rank Thomas the worst, um, not because I don't think he's bright, but because I think he's absolutely and utterly contemptuous of what I think of as the rule of law. You know, I, th- I think Thomas, in absolutely every case he's ever decided since he got on the bench in the late 80s, and he's the l- most senior justice. He's decided every single case exactly as he would decide it if he were a legislator, um, a very conservative legislator. And there, there's not a single case he's decided in all those decades um, where he thought it was even possible that the law could possibly different, be any different than what he would want the law to be. And, and I think, um, you know, I basically would say the same about Alito, um, but Alito hasn't been on for as long as Thomas and Alito hasn't written as many separate opinions as Thomas so that, you know, I mean, there's been a conservative majority in a lot of cases which which Thomas can join. But Thomas usually goes out of his way to write separate lonely opinions that even the other conservative justices don't join, just saying, you know, if it was up to me, I'd go, you know, a million times farther. I oh, roll the well, clock
0: all the way back to the 1490s. He also wins because he, he's got a wife who's texting and calling the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And. Communicating crazy, bizarre, Christian nationalist uh, conspiracy theories about what's going on with Venezuela, and I, I mean just the craziest shit you could possibly imagine, and believes it apparently. So I don't know. Do you? I, I it, it worries me that he might he might be into some of that stuff. He might believe some of that crap. He might just be even if even if he's a smart person. Uh, how does Judge Judy put it? There's a difference between intelligence and smarts, I, I guess, is how yeah. she would put it. right? Yeah, I,
1: I think he's probably into the same stuff as her. In fact, I think mm. that's kind of the glue that ties them together.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: also think she pushes him farther in that direction all the yeah. time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that. I also think just the fact that she is married to him legitimizes her in certain ways, you know, undeservedly. You're right. You know, that, you know, how how could something be, you know, kind of crazy, fringe nonsense if, if the wife of the senior U.S. Supreme Court justice is involved with it, you know, so she she oh. lends some, some very uh, illegitimate legitimacy. No,
0: I could counter that. I have a good argument for that. The president, the former president, <laughs> yeah, was into yeah. that stuff and believed that. So I don't care if Jenny Thomas does. I mean, we had a president who still believes that stuff and is still out there saying that stuff. Uh, although the pictures that are coming out of Bedminster, New Jersey of him on the golf course seem to indicate he had some kind of atrocious Face peel, and he looks like shit. So, I, who knows how much you know, longer he's going to be swinging too, a these golf lawyers club? Who tried to help him with the
1: with the seditious plot. You know, especially John Eastman, uh, who, who you know, um, is sort of the architect of this whole plot. You know, these were these were clerks of Justice Thomas, and, and they've stayed in touch with Virginia Thomas. Like Eastman was in pretty continuous contact with Virginia Thomas through all this. You know, probably not with Clarence Thomas, but. Um, but, but, but um, you know, Virginia Thomas talks to Clarence Thomas.
0: Yeah, they're trying to have – he's trying to eat his steak or whatever the hell it is. And it's like, Clarence, by the way, I was talking to John. And you know what John told me? Yeah. And meanwhile, in his head, he's going, I just want to finish this steak. Can I finish the steak?
1: Yeah. Also, you know, you know the, the early leak of the Dobbs decision to the media – You know, I think I've solved it. I I think it has to have been Virginia Thomas, who was the leaker. And I'm I I actually think that the FBI investigation that they figured that out, too, but they're just not going to out her.
0: Oh, but that leads us that helps us segue into our conversation about corruption that you wanted to have because we were talking earlier about the missing Secret Service texts, all the texts that the Justice Department said, please hang on to those texts from January 5th and 6th. I don't know why they didn't ask for the seventh as well, but uh, the Secret Service was uh, revamping their phone systems or or doling out new phones to everybody and managed to whoopsie-daisy delete all of those uh, texts except for one. Because you are such a wizard with the sound effects. before I start talking about the
1: Secret service, because I, I left it dangling, can I just tell your listeners why I'm pretty sure that Virginia Thomas was the leaker of the Dobbs decision? Can you you damn well better? yeah, so um and then I'll get back to the Secret service. but you know when when the, when the when the full text of the Dobbs decision got leaked to Politico, and that was just such huge news because the full text of a, a draft opinion had never been leaked before, um, uh, you know, people forgot that um, four days earlier, um, there was a similar leak of the same opinion, just not the full text. Right? But, but four days earlier, four days before Politico got the full text of the Dobbs opinion, there was a, an editorial... On the Wall Street Journal editorial page, you know, an unsigned uh, editorial by the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal um, about the Dobbs decision, hmm. and and what and what that editorial said from the Wall Street Journal's editorial board was, um, it seems to them, it seems to the Wall Street Journal's editorial board as though probably what's going on is that probably Justice Alito has written uh, an opinion, a draft opinion that would overrule. Roe versus Wade um, and probably he already has five votes for it um, but the hang-up seems to be that justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts is trying to convince some of those conservative justices um, not not to join that opinion but to join Roberts's concurring opinion instead which would um, still uphold the Mississippi law but but purport not to overrule uh, Roe and and the, we of the Wall Street Journal editorial board think that, you know, those, those five justices who are voted with Alito's draft, they better get a spine and stick with that and not be peeled off by, um, by, by, by Roberts. Now, all of this was in print in the Wall Street Journal four days before the big leak, which obviously means that the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, if they didn't already have that full text, they'd been apprised of exactly what the situation was. That was later um, revealed in the full text, and you know Virginia Thomas, in her job as a communications person at the Heritage Foundation, she's in continuous contact with the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Um, so you know who else would have access to that opinion mm. and 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 would have continuous contact with the Wall Street Journal editorial page, but her. And and then and then you know that editorial comes out. And you know maybe it didn't immediately do the job, so then there's a follow up with this um, th- this leak to uh, Politico. But I think but, you're but, yeah. absolutely right. I'm going yeah, to give that one to you. That proves it. And also, you know, if you think of who's who would have an interest in doing it, it, it's basically the the conservative justices and their spouses, because the effect of the leak, which was exactly what I think it was leaked for, was to make it very difficult for um, Kavanaugh or even possibly Barrett. Um, to um defect from the Alito opinion and to 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 go over to the, the 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 Roberts
0: concurrence. Yeah, that was one of the theories floated at the time that this was to nail these people down, to back yeah. them into a and corner, it, and, and, and it, it did may it. have worked. And, yeah.
1: and, and Roberts was back on another media blitz uh, this very week. You know, earlier this week, Roberts was out there on TV saying, "Yep, that's what happened." Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he didn't finger Virginia Thomas, but he said.
0: Uh, but he you might ver- want to restate that. You might want that, to. You that that he might was want still to...
1: talking to some of those justices about maybe not joining that opinion. <laughs> and then once the leak happened, that ended
0: that. Yeah, I was going to say you might want to restate that, but that's okay. Yeah. Never mind. When you said, never mind, I'm not oh, even going to repeat say? it. Oh, uh, oh, uh, the... Finger <sighs> Ginny Thomas. Oh, yeah. You got a sound effect for that one, I'm sure. That. i sure. Restate that. Yes, I I just played it. You might have missed it. Here it is again, yeah. That? <laughs> Nothing like those Hanna-Barbera sound effects. They're still good all these yeah. years later. But before we run out of road, what is this corruption case yeah, that you attended personally? i this. And I hope we have time personally. So, you know, I'm
1: I mean, going to have to back back up the clock a little bit. Do you remember, you know, back, you know, people are still remembering the Trump presidency so much that people have almost forgotten how terrible the George W. Bush presidency was. I no,
0: I remember that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I remember Ronald Reagan because I was a <laughs> punk rocker slash, you know, hardcore person and we hated Ronald Reagan and we segued right into hating George W. Bush. Great. Well, do you remember, George W. Bush had an attorney
1: general, a guy named Alberto Gonzalez, and and he wound up having to resign in disgrace. I don't know if you remember that whole episode. Uh, it Was a corruption? Let me well, guess. Well, ex- it was corruption, but not exactly corruption. What he resigned for, what he had to resign in disgrace after there were congressional hearings about it, which brought all this out, much like today's January 6th committee hearings, was— uh, after after Bush got in and Bush put in his U.S. attorneys in all the different cities and and Gonzales comes in as Attorney General, Gonzales says to all the Republican U.S. attorneys that that Bush has just appointed, the chief prosecutors all around the country, he says, look, we're we're trying to pass uh, vote laws that will uh, make it much harder to vote because that's where the future of the Republican Party is in passing laws that make it harder for people to vote, and in order to get those laws enacted. Um, we're going to need to pretend that there's a whole lot of vote fraud going on, even though there's not. And so, so one of the things that you guys have to do is you just better start bringing vote fraud prosecutions. It doesn't even matter if you can get convictions or not. Just start bringing them everywhere so that it looks like there's a lot of vote fraud. And while you're at it, start prosecuting Democratic politicians too. And so Gonzalez gave these marching orders. And kind of much like we saw recently with the January 6th stuff, you know, a lot of public Republican uh, public officials um, did did like, you know, say, yes, sir. And they went ahead and tried to do this. But a number of them didn't just the same way a number of Republican officials didn't carry out the um, January 6th plot. And so so it was kind of similar to what you're seeing now. And so there were about um, I think about a dozen uh, Republican U.S. attorneys around the country that, that Bush had just appointed um, who got fired immediately by Gonzalez because they wouldn't carry out you know, his orders to bring bogus vote vote fraud prosecutions and bogus corruption prosecutions against Democrats. And then a bunch of the the, the U.S. attorneys who got fired ended up telling congressional committees about all this. And there were hearings, and, and Gonzalez had to leave in disgrace, and he's still a disgrace to this day. Um, well, anyhow, one thing that he did as part of that plot, which amazingly, like a zombie is still alive, and that's why I'm telling you all this, is uh, Gonzalez had, had told the FBI um, as part of this plot because he wanted to, you know, bring bogus vote, voting fraud prosecutions and, and bogus corruption charges against Democrats. He said to the FBI, um, in, in most every city in America, the FBI's number one priority is public corruption cases. Um, there's nothing you should be investigating more than public corruption. Um, you know, and, and so that became official uh, FBI policy as part of this scandal with Alberto Gonzalez that caused him to resign in disgrace Uh, But somehow, you know, the FBI, they, they kept that in place in most of the districts in the country to this day. So there, there were a few places where later U.S. attorneys told them that's not the top priority. You know, we've got domestic terrorism, we've got neo-Nazis, we've got human trafficking. You know, we've we've got all. You know, a lot of other. We've got cyber terrorism. There's a lot of other priorities. You know, more than um, uh, public corruption. Um, but in many places, you know, that just didn't happen, and that stayed in. And and the FBI itself is, you know, as we learned, as the whole country learned, for instance, um, in in 2016. When you had the whole episode with the Comey warrant, when 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 James Comey went and sought a warrant, it was it was actually Rudy Giuliani's pals in the New York office of the FBI who went and sought that warrant on Anthony Weiner's laptop so that James Comey could then tell Congress about that and cause headlines to come out. 11 days before before the election. Yeah, yeah, you remember all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like the FBI in New York did that because. You know, these are right wing pals of Rudy Giuliani's who saw an opportunity there to, to make a headline that they're investigating Hillary Clinton right before the election. Um, you know, we saw it again this week and you just mentioned it with these Secret Service texts that all went mi- mi- missing to help Trump's January 6th plot. You know, th- there's a lot of people in federal law enforcement and particularly in the most political sections of federal law enforcement, the people who deal with, um, a politically charged stuff, as opposed to sort of ordinary crime, you know, that's like a path that basically right-wing people go into for their career, you know, just the same way, you know, I'm a professor, you know, I'll admit it. Liberals go and become professors, right? Well, well, you know, conservatives go and become, you know, FBI people who deal with these kind of issues. And, and they, they, um, abuse that authority a lot to this day and rely on the fact that the, um, it's never been changed in most parts of the country that they can actually say the FBI has a policy um, that our number one um, uh, priority um, is is public corruption. And you know, here in Ohio, you know, no fewer than forty people who were inside the Capitol on uh, uh, January sixth, you know, and were arrested for it, you know, are from Ohio. And a lot of them were in groups that are from Ohio. Um, But the Ohio FBI is much more interested in, you know, putting all its resources into following around, you know, Cincinnati City Council members than trying to bust up these these neo-Nazi cells in Ohio. In fact, you know, the the, the biggest, um, most violent neo-Nazi website on the face of the earth, um, which is called the Daily Stormer. Um, comes from Ohio. um, And and there's been a lot of violence fomented through that. But our FBI also considers that a lower priority um, than following around, you know, Cincinnati City Council members. And so we had this multi-year sting operation going on with um, large numbers of FBI undercover agents pretending to be real estate developers, and, and trying to, um, you know, make up phony real estate deals and see if they could bribe uh, members of the city councils of most of the cities in Ohio. Um, and, and this went on for years. Um, and, and most of the city council members, you know, didn't didn't go for it. And in, in the trial that I went to this week, which was a C- Cincinnati city councilman named P.G. Sittenfeld is his name, um, you know he absolutely didn't go for it, and they they prosecuted him anyhow. So you know, and I know we're running out of time, but some of the stuff they did with Sittenfeld, they 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 offered him cash on many occasions. and on many occasions he said to them, "Look, I can't, you know, I don't take you know i'm I'm not interested in that.
0: Yeah, um, you know, if
1: if you want to make a campaign contribution, you can make a contribution to my campaign. Well then they they tried to make campaign contributions in cash. He sent it back. They tried to make campaign contributions with money orders and cashier's checks. He sent them back. Uh, they, They tried to make campaign contributions with checks that were written from corporations, they, he sent those back. Um, they gave him checks from L, that they said were from LLCs, which would actually be legal for his c- campaign to take. But even though they told him that the checks were from LLCs, um, they were actually from corporations. And 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 Sittenfeld, you know, vetted the checks before he deposited them and ended up giving them back again. Um, and in the end, you know, they did give him um, a total of eight checks for five thousand dollars um from different individuals or LLCs to his campaign, um, which were lawful campaign contributions. And he registered them all, you know, with the Federal Election Commission. Every one of these contributions you could look at to this day on the FEC website where they were properly reported and properly disclosed. Um, most of the money that he got, he actually, you know, either left in the campaign fund, so it's still there, um, or he gave it to other candidates who had elections sooner. So that they could use it for their campaigns. Not a penny of it was diverted um, into into his pocket or into any improper place or, or wasn't accounted for. Um, and he never did anything um, to actually help them with any of their phony real estate deals ever. And the phony real estate deals were totally phony. And there wasn't any way to help them, you know. And, and all he did was he, you know, because he thought these were real developers with real real estate deals that he thought would be good for the city. Um, he put them in touch with the relevant city officials to move their applications forward and, and which didn't happen because they didn't have real applications. And so, so he got, um, indicted for public corruption, supposedly for bribery and extortion because the, the, these, these, you know, the FBI after this multi-year investigation said, well, you know, he took $40,000 in campaign contributions and he did some political favors, you know, for, for these guys, um, Which is, you know, literally what every single politician, you know, is supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, they have to raise money for their campaigns and they're supposed to try to help their constituents. Um, But nonetheless, although the jury didn't um, they threw out they they acquitted him on the majority of the counts, but they actually did acquit him on on, or they convicted him on two out of six counts. So he's he's going to have to appeal now. I hope the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit will see through this nonsense. But, but I, I look at this as kind of the legacy of you know the the FBI deciding that you know any any time a Democrat engages in ordinary politics uh, that that's political corruption.
0: Uh, it's just so it it it, it really. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how we. I, I ask you this question every time: How we pull out of this dive? Because shouldn't we be concerned about? Uh, Tony Ornato and Bobby Angle, these Secret Service douches that were put into play by Donald Trump, who now have lawyered up, refusing to talk to the January 6th committee. I mean, let's put some resources into figuring out uh, what the Secret Service was texting back and forth to each other on January 5th and 6th. I would love to know that. Yeah, I think with we all the Secret have a right...
1: Service and the FBI... You know they should be investigating January
0: sixth, and they're they're running interference for the January sixth plotters. It's kind of remarkable, and I you know this is this is what was so damaging when they came up with that thing about the deep state. You know because that justifies them dismantling the career diplomats at the uh, you know uh, the State Department and utterly dismantling any idea of competent civil service uh servants basically decimating all those people and turning it all into patronage and political loyalty tests i mean this is really the kind of shit that did go on in russia and that still goes on in russia it's really fucked up the kind of fascism that he was slowly injecting and sometimes not so slowly yeah into the into the government you know and and Really capitalizing on people's distrust of the government, especially those in MAGA world, to utterly take it over and bend it to his will and turn it into a vehicle for his revenge. I mean, it's kind of fucked up. And, you know, that story and the idea that that guy will never do a day in jail as long as you and I live is really depressing to me. You would like to see that fucker thrown into jail at some point, wouldn't you, Kid Katkin? <laughs> Wait, which guy? Not not the
1: councilman from Cincinnati. I'm not sure which guy you're. you're no, talking about.
0: the councilwoman who ran over that guy on the bike in Jersey City. No, I'm talking about the president, the former well, the president, president. Yes, that yes.
1: guy. Yes, yes. I, I believe he will do a day in jail. I believe he will. In our
0: lifetimes. In our really? lifetimes. Okay. The, the net is slowly closing. All right. Maybe that's why he doesn't look so good when he's golfing in Bedminster anymore. And you know what else? He's going to
1: have a lot of civil liability, too. And there's already a lot of civil suits against him. And in some ways, you know, that might bother him more. Like, I think if if he gets convicted of a crime, you know, he won't give he won't give a shit. If Mm. he if he actually has to go spend a month or two in a prison, you know, he won't give a shit. But Mm. if these lawsuits um, actually cost him hundreds of millions of dollars Mm. and he doesn't have as much as he pretends to have,
0: you you know, know that 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 I think is going to hurt him. All right. Well, I think we're pretty much out of road at this point. So I want to uh, thank you again, Ken, for doing this. And I'm, I'm sure you'll be back before much longer because this stuff fascinates me. And I enjoy talking about it. If you ever want to invite me on Trash Flow Radio on a Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time uh, at 88.3 in the Cincinnati area or on waferadio.org, please just reach out and ask. Yes, well, uh, appreciate that will definitely happen uh, in, in August or September, I promise. But you were here because you're a, a, a constitutional professor of law at Salmon P. Chase College of Law at Northern Kentucky University, and we appreciate you stopping in and judging the judges with us. And I'm going to turn it over here to more Vintage Hound shows. Thank you so much. I do appreciate it, Ken. Take care, and goodbye. And friends, I will turn you back over to Vintage Hound shows, and then don't forget Sunday at 3 p.m., Town Hall and then 5 p.m. Crashing the party. Mark and Miriam with the doo-wop Chop Shop of the Air. <laughs> night Chris T and crazy horse meat is that what it's called yes and wow what an amazing performance Chris I that that that's gonna be hard to top